1: thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. And now let
2: gift of life and peace we have two beautiful daughters and now grandchildren but I remember the time when those two daughters were in my home I remember many times sitting around the dining room table having dinner together conversation together It was fascinating to watch as the evening time together would pass when April would be exceptionally vocal, bright, conversational. Sometimes she would be totally withdrawn and Heidi would have to lead in almost everything. I began to learn with April that when she was exceptionally bright, and conversational and directive in the conversation that there was something she didn't want to talk about. And she was very adroit at steering the conversation away from those topics she chose not to deal with, especially regarding her report card. Report cards would come out and she knew that one of my questions would be april where's your report card and when she was upset with her report card she could speak eloquently about every issue save the report card i find today in the church that we can teach and preach we can we can have conversations together we can be very adroit in avoiding that which we do not want to talk about. Now, according to the Scriptures, there was only one thing that separated Adam and Eve from their Lord, and that was sin. But they did not want to talk about sin. Instead, they hid in the bushes. God had to ask them, who told you you were naked? How do you know that? Did you eat? Well, even then, they didn't want to say, yes, we ate. It was that woman, God. No, it was that serpent, God. It wasn't me. They didn't want to talk about sin. Sin today in our church is something we really don't want to talk about. But there's only one thing that all through Scripture consistently separates our heart from God's heart. S-I-N. And you obviously have identified the very heart of the matter, I. That's the heart of the matter. We don't want to talk about the part we play in the SN. But we bind it all together and separate from God. So how do we even begin to talk about sin? I can give you the definitions. The classical Greek definition is harmatia. It's the missing of the mark. But First John tells us that sin is not missing the mark. The scripture does not use the classical Greek definition. In Greek literature, harmatia is always missing the mark. But in Scripture, harmatia is never missing the mark. Always in Scripture, sin is rebelling against the Most High. It is deliberately choosing my way over God's way. It is deliberately elevating the I and trying to bind everything together around who I am and what I want, what my desires are, what my expectations are, what my fears are, what my dreams are. The book of Proverbs speaks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools or simple ones despise wisdom and discipline. You see, there can be no fear of God when I sit supreme in its chair of sin. And so today, part of what I'm struggling with in my own heart, and my own life, is a lack of fear of God. Well, why should I fear him? we're able to manage everything basically pretty well without him. Or so it seems on the surface. We can go get our education, we can get our jobs, we can buy our cars, we we have loans that we can take out for our homes. And now suddenly all of this begins to crash down about us, and the loans are no longer available. I suspect we're going to begin to walk in a time when we can no longer do it for ourselves. Perhaps that will begin to create just a bit of fear in our hearts. Fear is something that must be carefully cultivated in the heart of a Christian. Without that fear, sin will not be anything we're concerned about. Rebellion is not an issue if there are no consequences. Rebellion is not an issue if God is invisible, and I don't see the one I'm rebelling against. There's a story that Solomon gives to us. I want to share it with you. It's found in the book of Proverbs the seventh chapter. Proverbs, the seventh chapter. It begins in verse six. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice and I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. The word simple In the Hebrew means one who has no moral direction. He is inclined to evil. No firm stand for righteousness. One who drifts with the tide of circumstances. The person who has no understanding of the consequences of their actions, who simply speaks what they desire to speak, does what they desire to do, and have no concern for the consequential result of what they have done. This simple young man who lacked judgment. I had a man in my congregation when I was a young man as a pastor. He came out after I would preached a sermon. And I'd done some very creative things in the service, I thought. He came out and he took my hand and he said to me, Pastor, you lack judgment. Well, oh, I was deeply offended. I said, Well, where is a man to find judgment? He said, By making the mistakes you made today and paying the price. Ah, he taught me something. Judgment comes from making mistakes and paying the price. So I don't make that mistake again. Good judgment then comes at a price. This was a young man who lacked judgment. He had never paid the price for his foolishness. So this young man, it says, comes walking down the street. He is about his business. He has no intention to sin. He is simply going about his daily activity, probably coming home from the market or coming home from work. Now, there is a woman who comes out to meet him. She's dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. So sin comes to us dressed in a lustful manner that says, look, I am fun to be with. You will have a good time with me. And this man, lacking judgment, had never paid the price for indulging himself in this kind of wantonness. And because he'd never paid the price, he comes walking down the street, innocent of heart, but foolish in judgment. And sin comes after him. Sin is not something that sits by and just lets us live our life. Sin comes after us. And if we have never wept before God for our sin, if we have never paid the price of turning from our sin, if we've never seen the cost of our sin in another person's life, in a wife or a husband who is broken because of our angry words, if we've never had to weep over the consequences of our sin, then we're foolish and lack judgment. This young man came innocent with no judgment and no set moral standard. You see, there is something that takes the place of of judgment. And that is when I don't have to make a judgment. When I simply do what I know is right to do. Tonight, there are many things that could come at me in my life. I would not give them a second thought. I would just wash them away. Why? Not because I'm such a such good judgment. Because many kinds of sins I've never had to pay a price for. But I had moral teaching that said, don't touch this. I didn't have to put my hand on the stove to blister it to find out that it was hot and would hurt. My dad told me that. Now, my brother Don, he had to check it out. So he put his hand on it and it sizzled and it blistered his whole hand. Now, I saw that. And I said, oh, I get it. (laughs) You don't put your hand on that stove. If you do, it blisters and it hurts. I heard his crying in the night. I saw the pain he went through, how he had to hold the ice pack on his hand through the night so he could sleep. I saw the trips to the hospital. To the emergency room. I I was witnessed all of this. So I grew up with a clear understanding. You don't put your hand on a hot stove. Now, that wasn't judgment on my part. Because I'd never paid a price for touching a hot stove. It was moral teaching. I was taught not to do that. So... If there is a clear understanding of values and absolutes, there are certain things we just won't do because we know we've seen other people pay the price and we're not going to go there. But this young man had no absolute moral values. He had no moral teaching. He drifted with every circumstance that came his direction. He was blown this way and that way, never being sure of where he stood except for what he wanted. And what he wanted ruled his life. If he wanted that custard pie, he ate it. If he wanted that hamburger, he ate it. If he wanted that money, he took it. If he wanted to Talk to somebody, he talked to them any way he chose. Whatever he wanted to do, he was free to do because there were no absolutes in his life. There was no moral teaching in his life. And so now he is ill-prepared. He's walking down the street, and this woman comes with crafty intent. I'm going to get you. Now, I don't know how this strikes you, but it strikes me as grossly unfair. Shouldn't the world be a safe place for us? Shouldn't it be full of sunshine and pastures and beautiful things? Shouldn't we be able to just live and enjoy a wonderful life of love and peace just because we're such wonderful people? No. We live in a war zone. We live where there is an enemy who is determined to have us, who comes with crafty intent to take us out. She's loud, defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, at every corner she lurks. That's what sin is. But notice, she then takes hold of him and kisses him. Sin is not content to come dancing up beside you and say, hey, cutie. No, sin comes up and throws its arms around you and takes a hold of you and kisses you and says, you should be kissing me. I mean, this is not fair. But this is how sin functions. Again, let's identify what sin is. Sin is rebellion against the Most High. Sin is in our hearts. We were born with it in our hearts. And we come with crafty intent in our flesh, To have what we want, regardless of what the price is, for anyone around us. I have a right to be mad. I have a right to have my way. I have a right to enjoy what I want to enjoy. I own this. This is mine. You are mine. This is my church. This is my car. Now, the difficulty in all of this for me is to begin to separate out who I am in Christ and who I am in the flesh. How do I understand and begin to separate that? Well, Jesus said you separate that by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him to Golgotha, where you die. Well, see, we would like to maintain our sin life and our godly life and then hold them at some distance in some kind of equilibrium so that we can be good people but enjoy the world. I can tell by your faces, none of you have this intent. This is the struggle. How are we going to be able to deal with this loud, offensive, demonic power that finds an answer in our souls that rises up and says, sweetheart, you're cute too. You know, let's, let's do it. Let's go. I want you to see something. She has a brazen face. Sin always comes with a brazen face. You know what a brazen face means? Sin comes with boldness, as though it had a right to come. I have a right to be angry. I have a right to own. I have a right to be who I am. I have a right. As soon as you find yourself doing that, you've identified that woman who comes with all of her brassiness, demanding that right. And then she says, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. What's that mean? It means I brought home the filet mignon. I offered my offering and I brought home the beef. I have a feast for you. So I came out to meet you. I've looked for you and have found you. Sin always comes saying, you're special to me. You're somebody to me. Will you let me just comfort you? Will you let me put my arms around you? Will you let me carry you? Will you let me be in charge? I'll show you a good time. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. Well, what is love? In the scripture, love is self-sacrificing responsibility for another. In the scripture, love is never defined as pleasure. Love is self-sacrificing love for another person. Love in scripture is never something I do for me. It's never... Self-love. By definition in Scripture, love is not concerned with self. Love is concerned with serving another person. But sin comes and says, oh, no, no, no. You've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of anybody else. You've got to look out for number one. If you don't look out for number one, nobody else will. How many times have you heard this? How many seminars and workshops I've been to where they've taught this? And right there with all of this is the wonderful concept of self-esteem. You know, you can't have low self-esteem. If you do, you've got to go to a counselor. When people come to me and say, I have low self-esteem, Pastor, could I talk with you about it? I say, yes. Let's talk about how we can get rid of the little bit of self-esteem you have left. (laughs) Let's deal with it. It used to be that self-esteem was called pride. (laughs) But today it's not pride, it's A virtue, not a vice. This is what sin does to us. It comes and twists reality so that when I listen to the sweet-sounding siren call of sin, it takes me to a place I think I want to go. And when I get there, it's death. That's why I have on several times said to you, you can't get out the way you got in. You can't just turn and walk away from sin. My mother used to say it this way. Words are like feathers. One said they can't be collected again. They blow in the wind. Have you ever changed the tick on a pillow? I know today we just throw our pillows out, but in the old days, you had to take all the down feathers out wash the ticking or make new ticking and then replace all of those feathers now this obviously had to be an outdoor job and i was raised on the plains of wyoming where the wind is always blowing you try to change the ticking in a pillow with the wind blowing what a mess But see, when that sin begins to go out, how do you collect it all again and stuff it back in the bag? So pretty soon, we've got sin spread everywhere. And then we begin to be depressed. We feel guilty. What are we going to do with all this sin that we're spreading around Our thoughts aren't right. Our words aren't right. What we're doing is not in line with what we know to be true. What do we do with all of that? That's why Jesus just said there's only one answer. Die. You can't put it back together again. There is no way to maintain my innocence before God so long as I live. There has to be a place of death Where I give up my life. Where finally I'm willing to say, all I want is Jesus. He's enough for me. I don't have to own anything. I don't have to own anybody. I don't have to control anything anymore. I don't have to be the man in charge. I don't have to be the authority. I don't have to be the fountain of truth. What I have to be is dead. And let Jesus Christ reign and rule over my heart and over my life. What I have to do is minister now to Jesus and listen to him and obey him as he sets me free of this horrendous thing called sin. See, we'll never experience revival until we begin to get to the depth of this sin issue. Revival only comes when there's repentance for sin. But if we're okay with our sin, how can there be revival? If we're okay with our life, and we think we just need a little tweaking here and there, if we're really about just a little self-improvement, how can there be revival? We're dead. In sin. Revival comes when the Holy Spirit breathes into people in righteousness. So there is a revival of righteousness in the life. When there is a revival of righteousness, there is fear of God and there is hatred for sin. But that Hatred for sin will look like we are hating wonderful things and wonderful people. The word hatred in the Greek is an interesting word. It can mean actual repulsion, but it can also mean simply indifferent to so that I can't be touched by. There has to be a hatred for sin so that I can't be touched by it anymore. I'm free of its influence on my life. I'm free to simply give my heart to Jesus Christ, to give him authority over my life, to no longer be pulled this way and that way by this wicked woman who would come with crafty intent to steal from me my life. With persuasive words, verse 21, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And I want you to notice verse 22. All at once, he followed her. Now, my experience with sin is always that it comes dressed in that very seductive, beautiful manner. And in my heart, I'm, I'm ready to say, you know, I thought this was an important issue when I was in the prayer closet. But it's obvious when I'm not in the prayer closet, that's really not a big deal. You know, it really doesn't matter. You know, the Lord has told me, lay off the sugar. So great, I'll lay off the sugar huh. Till I want some. You know, come on, what's the big deal? I just want a piece of chocolate. I just want a bowl of ice cream. I just want one of those delicious cupcakes. Carrot cake with his incredible frosting on it. You know, what's wrong? So what happens in my heart is it comes up dressed in its alluring, beautiful way that says to me, look, this is not a big issue. And so then there's the decision time. And so there's a hesitation. Should I or shouldn't I? There's a small hesitation. Should I or shouldn't I? Should I say it or shouldn't I say it? Should I go that way or shouldn't I? Sin always comes saying it's not an important issue. It doesn't really matter to God. Why should it matter to you? Anyway, you deserved it. But in America, we have that option. We have that ability to to please ourselves with what we want to please ourselves with. Without regard to what God would have us do or what the will of Jesus would be for us. We simply have the right to be a proud American doing what we want to do and going where we want to go. We're in charge. Don't worry about this economy that's crashing. We're going to rebound in the last half of this year and everything's going to be back to normal. You know it and I know it. So let the good times roll. I listened to the president as he said these things. Crafty woman. Coming to seduce. To spend your money, to go in debt. To not honor the Lord, to not do what he asks us to do. He hesitates. And then all at once, he followed her. Now, there is almost no way possible a man can turn aside from sin once he's turned that corner. Once you've said yes, at least in my experience, I'm on my way, and I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to gorge myself. I'm going to enjoy whatever it is. I'm going to have my way. I'm going to let them have a peace of my mind. Whatever it is, I'm going to do what I've decided I'm going to do. So if the sin is going to be blocked, it's going to have to be blocked by the power of God in our lives before we've made the decision to go with it. Once the emotional decision has been made, We're dead. That's why there has to be an understanding of sin and its ways before we get in that position. So that we will not, in the hesitation, then say, okay, I'm just going to do it. Like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose. Till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. For chapter 9, verse 17. Stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. So, yeah, it's great. And now I'm enjoying not seeing that in the dimness, if the lights were turned up, I could see the bodies laying all around me of the dead. But I've chosen to go with it because... This is so alluring and the, and the promise of the, of the food is so nice and the, and the aromas are so pleasing and the, the lust of the heart is being satisfied. Somewhere God has to step into our lives with the red light flashing yeah. and say, there's a price to pay when you just go with the flow. The flow of this world is toward hell. And if I go with the flow of this world, I will go to hell. So in the midst of this, there has to be a place where I plead with Jesus. Would you send the red light? Would you stop me in my mad rush? Will you unveil? We don't even know what the sin is. We're so accustomed to it. All we know is that there's an occasional depression or unhappiness in us. There's an irritation in our spirits. There's Things aren't right, but we don't know what's wrong. It's just, okay, I'll survive. I'll just keep going. I'll do it. I'm tough. Somewhere the Holy Spirit has to come and peel away these layers of darkness that hide the dead bodies around us and give us an avenue of escape from our own Wickedness, our own rebellion. There's a passage of scripture in Romans, the eighth chapter, verse six and seven. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Life, zoe, meaning the miraculous introduction of something from outside of us that causes energy to flow in our soul. And peace, or shalom, meaning Not just the absence of warfare, not just the absence of trouble, but a great overflowing of provision, of love, of peace, of family, of belonging, a place of rest. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God or the mind set on what the flesh desires is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So those times when we simply give way And walk into that snare. We break fellowship with God. Then the peace of God is stolen from our hearts. And the life of God is stolen from our minds and our bodies. And instead of the peace of God and the life of God, we have confusion contention, anger, and bitterness, fighting. We have pride and arrogance, ownership. We have being blown about by every wind of circumstances so that today, how are you? I'm doing great. Tomorrow, how are you? I'm crawling on the ground. That up and down, up and down, success and failure. That's not a part of Christ. In Christ, there are only two things that we receive. We receive life and we receive peace. The world cannot give that to us. Only Jesus can give that to us. But when the devil comes with his temptations it looks as though he's going to give us a feast. That's his substitution for the peace of God. Sometimes it looks when the devil comes to us like this is the good time. That's the substitution for the life of God. So tonight, would you search your heart? Are you walking in any known sin? Is there anything standing between your heart and God's heart? If so, that's going to separate you more and more from the Lord God of heaven until you're pierced through. You can't please God and walk in anger and bitterness, in resentment, in hostility. You can't please God and hold grudges. You can't please God and hold yourself above others and play the superior game. You can't please God and give way to the gluttony and the the physical lusts. You can't please God and be angry. There has to come a place where we finally recognize we can no longer rebel against the Most High. And he has to uncover all these very places that we hide out from him so that when we speak to him, he answers us. When he speaks to us, we answer him. There is fellowship There's oneness. Proverbs, the first chapter, verse 22. How long will you, simple ones, sinners, how long will you love your simple ways? How long will you, mockers, delight in mockery, and fools, hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Has God poured out his heart to you? Has God made his thoughts known to you? If he hasn't, it's because there's sin between your heart and God's heart. That sin has to be dealt with. (laughs) or there will be no salvation for you. Now, if I were here tonight telling you that to deal with sin, you had to lay on a bed of spikes, I could understand your hesitation. But when the good news of the gospel comes, that all we need to do is confess our sin and turn aside from it by the power of the blood of Jesus... That it's not a complicated self help process. It's a wonderful coming into relationship with God where we say, I choose you, God, instead of this darkness. I choose you, God, instead of this wickedness that's coming knocking at my door so seductively. I choose you, Jesus. The power of the blood does the work, it sets us free. So are you in bondage tonight? Is there any known sin in your life that stands between you and God? We can walk clean before God without any sin. Not without infirmities. Not without mistakes, but without any rebellion against God. Clean and free. Free. Lord, I need something real, something that I can rest in. And Lord, surely your cross was real, and surely it's something we can rest in. Lord, rescue us, please. We have not gone to the bottom of our sin yet, Jesus, and we can't go there if you don't uncover it and make it plain to us. And I am asking for the manifestation of your Holy Spirit amongst us in conviction of sin. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.